Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. Take a bite of the Big Apple when we talk with Gerald Brown from the Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM NBA Radio. When the season started, Gerald, the expectations for the Nets were pretty high. The expectations for the Knicks were not as high, but based on what happened last year, getting into the playoffs for the first time in 10 years, uh, even though they got taken out by Atlanta in five games, still the expectations were pretty high. Well, what's happened since then? Kevin Durant's gone down. There's all kinds of rumors about James Harden leaving. Uh, the Knicks seem to be a total mess. Thibodeau's playing his players in blowouts late in the game, and R.J. Barrett suffers a sprained ankle. So I've just given you a whole lot of rubbish in about 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't even know where to begin. So I'm going to begin with the Nets and James Harden. According to what we're hearing, uh, Harden wants out. And uh, I'm not surprised. Nothing surprises me anymore. Yeah, I mean, you know, Howard, always great to uh, be back on with you. And I guess this whole narrative and what we've looked at and this whole situation where, you know, it just seems apparent that uh, James Harden, I guess when it all said, said and done, doesn't feel like being the third option. Maybe he needs to be the first or the second option. And if that is the case, Philadelphia provides that for him. Um, you know, you can question perhaps some of the tactics. Of, I believe they were going to play Golden State. He said he couldn't play, you know, because of the sore wrist. And then it was the hamstring and just the, the looks of everything that's going on, the optics. Uh, saying essentially that he doesn't want to be here. And I think that behind the, the behind the scenes, management is kind of trying to coax him into staying and say, hey, look, let's try to figure this out. Let's see where this team could go. I'm sure that, you know, once we get Durant back, you know, the mandate and some of the COVID uh, protocols and stuff that are in place for New York probably will be relaxed. Maybe Kyrie will be back. So everything will be back together again. And it's still, look, there's a possibility of it because it's still early. It's the first out of the season that we're coming to a close. Still a lot of basketball. They could turn it around. But it just seems apparent that James Harden doesn't want to be a part of that. He soured on New York. And then I think also, too, from a financial standpoint, which is the major issue to look at, the fact is that he left a lot of money in terms of when he turned down the two years, $100 million extension from Houston. He goes to Brooklyn. You're already incorporating these, these New, York State, uh, New York City taxes that he's paying. And now if he decides to move on and take the say he wants a max, but he doesn't want it from Brooklyn, Let's say he takes it from, uh, you know, the Philadelphia, wherever he goes. Obviously, it's only likely going to be Philadelphia because if he has aspirations of playing for a championship and then teams that could perhaps absorb the contract or offer him a max deal, it likely would be Philadelphia and that's it. And if that is the case, he's walking away from another humongous extension with the Brooklyn Nets. So some of this was probably money-driven. But also, I think a lot of this is feeling like he's not the number one or number two option for this team. Well, I, I look at it uh, a couple of ways. Let me look at it from this possible trade for Ben Simmons in Philadelphia, because it's not going to be Harden for Simmons straight up. Uh, the Nets, I don't think the Nets would do that. Uh, they would want another piece or two. 
and then that may be the stumbling block from Philadelphia's point of view. They don't want to give up uh, Maxi. They may not want to give up uh, Thibault. I mean, they maybe they'll give up Seth Curry. Who knows? Uh, but it, it's um, here's the way I look at it. If I were Brooklyn, I would try to do whatever I could do as quick as I could do it to send James Harden packing. He's a disgruntled player. He was disgruntled in Houston, forced his way out. Uh, you just don't know if he's ever going to be happy. He's a great talent. There's no question about it. But let's look at the two principals, Harden and Simmons. Harden's 32. Simmons is 25. So there's a, there's a, there's a good thing from the, from the Nets' point of view. They get a guy. Look, we know about his, his troubles last year in the playoffs. Uh, he had some psychological issues and so on. But the guy can play defense. Harden can't. The guy can pass the ball. Harden's second in the league and assists. So he's also an excellent passer and a great three-point shooter and a great scorer. But you got a guy that, uh, that is not happy. And if he's not happy, why would you want a player like that? Yeah, I think, you look, I agree with you. And I, I've always said that I think inevitably, you know, Ben Simmons landing and staying in Brooklyn would not be the ideal logical spot for him because number one, he's going to have to be able to go out. He's going to have to face, go to Philadelphia multiple times if he says a net. And then number two, Howard, if he was not able to endure the blowback and some of the stuff that was said about him, you know, in Philadelphia, can you imagine in New York city media and, and really handling that? I think it would be a situation where, Inevitably, if he hasn't done so, I would say we would have somewhat of a repeat performance in terms of him asking to be traded somewhere else. Obviously, ideally, it would be a West Coast team that he doesn't have to go to Philadelphia multiple times. He only has to play them twice a year. So if that happens, I just don't see how it, it, it helps the Nets if dealing with a situation where bringing Ben Simmons back into the fold, especially in the manner and the nature of his decision to move on from the Sixers, how it all played out. And then I, I think right now what is happening, and, and like Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN and reported that, you know, he doesn't want the public backlash. But I think also, too, maybe some of this stuff in making sure that Kyrie and Kevin Durant are okay with this because, you know, if, Durant, if, if Harden leaves, you know, is this a situation where uh, the Nets forced – somehow some way to really tolerate and offer Kyrie Irving an extension and go through the whole process again with him because that was this that was the sort of fall bad option where it was like okay look we're, we're tired of the the Kyrie Irving situation and granted Durant is in Brooklyn because of Kyrie but if he's a part-time player you always had James Harden here. now that option is not there so I you know this situation could go from bad to even worse just in a matter of days or whatever, once this uh, deal, if whenever it happens, and Scott's made it, I, I just I think the Nets will have a very very difficult situation on their hands, and ideally, I think that Ben Simmons will likely be moved somewhere else. He's Gerald Brown from the Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM NBA Radio. We're taking a bite of the Big Apple with Gerald. Your point about Simmons, uh, and he's already you know we already know about his history. Yeah, it's a great point that, that in New York, uh, I mean, Philadelphia is rough. We know we know how rough the Philadelphia fans are. But in New York, you might take it up a notch. It might even be worse. Uh, and I hear all of that. Let's take a look at one of the facts. Daryl Morey and Harden have a great rapport when they were together in Houston. And there's also discussion about was there tampering involved between Morey and Harden? I don't know that. Uh, no one's proven that. And I don't know if anybody can prove that. But as long as that question is out there, the NBA is going to look into it. You know that. But, you know, deal with it. You brought up Kyrie Irving, and it's true. He's also free. <clears throat> Suppose he says, I want out. Now the Nets are left holding the bag with Kevin Durant. Uh, and and I, look, if Harden gets moved, Durant's going to have to sign off on it because they're going to have to show him the respect, right? Oh, absolutely. Hands down. That's why I said the domino effect behind this is one that it, it, it's a lot of wrestling in terms of 
you know, I wouldn't be surprised as, you know, we've heard Steve Nash make these declarations multiple times, said that the Nets are not going to trade Harden. But I think clearly it's a situation that perhaps they're pleading with him to at least give it another shot for the second half of the season, see how things play out. And Harden and, and, and Irving, if they're okay with he wants to leave, you know, that would be the thing. But I think inevitably what happens now, you're kind of forced to be in a situation where you say, hey, look, we're going to stick with Kyrie Irving through thick and thin, no matter what may happen. Because clearly, if Irving is moved and he had already threatened to be retired, to retire, remember, Kevin Durant came to Brooklyn in order to play with Kyrie Irving. And right. if Kyrie, for some obvious reason, said, oh, I don't want this no more, trade me, you definitely would think that Kevin Durant would ask to be moved as well. And um, it, it's just, it's almost like a daytime soap opera as the world turns. Uh, and, and, and it could go from so many different directions just based upon James Harden and what his decision will be. I mean, if he decides, hey, look, he'll stay for the second half of the season and they end up getting to the NBA Finals and they win it, you know, does he take the massive extension and stays? And all the things are kumbaya, you know, winning cures all will ills. You know, if that is the case, then, you know, this will be all for naught. But it remains to be seen. And I think right now they're in a very tough situation, the Brooklyn Nets there is, and uh, wanting to hold on to a guy that doesn't want to be there. Yeah, you're right. He's Gerald Brown of the Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM. NBA radio. I mean, the Nets have fallen like a rock, uh, coincidentally, ever since Kevin Durant went out. They were sitting on top of the East early on in the season, and now here they are in the eighth spot in the East. Uh, they have the same amount of losses as the Celtics do, uh, but, you know, you got Charlotte lost last night, but they're right on their heels. They're three games back, so it's not impossible that they can be overtaken there, but Dur Durant comes back, I'm guessing, after the All-Star break. And here is the trading deadline that's that's going to happen in about less about two and a half hours from now that we'll know the answers to a lot of these things. Let me change gears and, and go to the Knicks. The Knicks are in a different situation. They're 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 a total mess. And I'm afraid, Gerald. I got to look at Tom Thibodeau. I'm wondering what a world you are thinking when you are playing the Denver Nuggets and getting your ears beaten down. You're getting blown out. You're down 16 with three minutes and change to go in the game, and you bring R.J. Barrett back into the game? For what reason? Did you really think you had a chance to win? And so Barrett gets hurt, sprains an ankle. He's out tonight. Who knows how many more games he's going to be out because ankles are funny, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I just don't know what he was thinking. And then here's Julius Randle, who's at war with everybody, and now he's standing up for Thibodeau. He says, no, the coach, he did all the right things. And I, Come on now, Julius. I mean, what do you think? And he's praising James Dolan? Hello? <laughs> I don't get it. You know, it's like I said, when you talked about the Brooklyn Nets and comparing it to a soap opera, we all know the Knicks have been clearly a classic soap opera. And as the world turns with them, look, you know, Julius Randle really alienated a lot of, you know, Knicks fans and stuff with the thumbs down and you had heard reports that they were going to move him. He hasn't lived up to the contract. Granted, they had no choice but to give him the contract. But I think the glaring issue with this team and a big concern really boils down to Tom Thibodeau because it seems apparent that, you know, this is Tom Thibodeau's M.O. where we witnessed it when Chicago missed it somewhat in Minnesota. Well, the teams it comes in, yes, he gives them a great sense of defensive presence, uh, you know, they play hard, they're in a lot of games, but then after a while, it kind of wears down the team. And then you hear a lot of, a lot of the internal grumblings and things of that nature. And look, I don't know if he's going to be the one to blame and sort of be the fall guy if this team does not get anywhere near the playoffs, uh, especially in the second half. But th th there's a lot of issues with this, 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 this New York Knicks team. And, you know, I think the biggest issue that I think is kind of, being exposed right before our eyes is the fact is that Mitchell Robinson is going to be a guy that they drafted and they're going to have to figure out how they're going to re-sign him. I've heard from some people within the Knicks organization that, you know, one of the reasons why they're not playing Cam Reddish, even though they like him, is they can't afford to re-sign him as well. 
If they're going to sign, you know, Mitchell Robinson, they're going to have to give him a contract. R.J. Barrett deserves a contract. Cam Reddish is a guy that, honestly, that's why I think some of the issues in terms of playing him, because if he does excel, you can't afford to keep him. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But, Howard, are you really surprised when it comes to the net, the Knicks, with their issues? I mean, it's really always something. And even in the midst of everything they did last year, it just seems apparently that um, Julius Randle is really kind of in a sense now trying to backtrack, but I don't think he's, you know, I don't think he's producing. I think he's kind of worn out his welcome, especially with Nick fans. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think Julius Randle's a superstar? Absolutely not. Okay. Absolutely he, not. He did make the all-star team last year, okay, and he got the most improved award. Uh, but I look at him as a second, even third option on a good team. Uh, and now here he is as the, the go-to guy, but at least he's smart enough that I've seen in recent games where he's looking for Barrett, looking because he knows that, you know, Barrett's the guy. He's got to go to Barrett because when everything, when the smoke clears, R.J. Barrett is still going to be the guy with the Knicks. Now let's look at what they did. They bring in Kemba Walker. They bring in Evan Fournier. Fournier's been in and out. He's had nights where he has knocked it out from three. He's had a nights where he couldn't find it the broadside of a barn. Kemba Walker, this is nothing new, what we've seen from Walker. He's got a history of injuries. The knee is, is a balky knee. It's not going to get better overnight. It's not going to get better at all. So if you're, let me just, I saw something today which seemed a little preposterous on the surface. It's saying that the Lakers would like to trade <laughs> Russell Westbrook to the Knicks for Kemba Walker and Evan Fortier. If you're the Knicks, do you make that deal? Here's the thing. I, I, I don't know where people are getting this. And maybe, you know, they're throwing things out that can be in a situation where perhaps, just maybe, that uh, they can garner some interest. Look, I don't believe the Lakers can take... Look, granted, the Lakers would want to move Russell Westbrook, but at this junction, the way he's played, and I think some of it, a lot of it is not his fault. You know, readjusting to... Being a guy that's playing off the ball and playing with a ball-dominant guy, LeBron James, it's been an adjustment for him, a big, big adjustment. hasn't worked out well. But the thing that I think people fail to realize, you bringing in Russell Westbrook, okay, granted, you're going to have to have him be able to adapt and get himself acclimated. That's going to take some time. But also, he brings in a $44 million price tag with a $47 million player option next year. So essentially, you're tied to him somewhere almost close to $90 million. And if that is the case, now your team is hamstrung with all the decisions that they want to move, make moving forward. And keep in mind, I just mentioned, you want to re-sign a guy of your own in Mitchell Robinson. You want to look and perhaps and see exactly how you can continue to develop and evolve where Howard, we've known the MO for the Knicks have always been getting players that have already passed their prime and really a bloated salary cap that restricted them from being any type of major players come free agency. So doing this trade financially doesn't make sense. Maybe James Dolan looks for sort of, in a sense, a somewhat, uh, I don't know, a jolt, you know, but I, I just, it just doesn't make sense financially. And look, the Lakers would love to get rid of him because now you can bring in some uh, pieces and stuff um, and really try to change the direction of their franchise. But I think it's crazy because, you know, nobody mentions the fact of the matter that this team really struggles from a perimeter defensive standpoint mm -hmm. more than in it offensively. They just can't guard the perimeter. Yep. So, you know, it doesn't make sense for the Knicks, but, you know, we know the Knicks history. They've done stuff that's been crazy. And if they were to do this, uh, it would be right up their alley. Hey, Gerald, for as long as I can remember, the Knicks are always saying they're after this superstar, that superstar. I mean, I'm going to go all the way back to Kiki Fandaway. I mean, yeah, I was there. Yeah, I was yeah, there when he brought him in. Yeah. I was a ball boy for the team when they brought him in. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, he's gonna. he was the next guy. The next guy that's going to take us to the promised land. Next guy that's going to bring us another Clyde Frazier, another Willis Reed. Uh, you know, now the fans are chanting for Obi Toppin. Uh, he's become the favorite am amongst the fans. Uh, you mentioned Mitchell Robinson. He does some things very well. He, he protects the rim extremely well. But he's got no offensive game outside of dunks. He's got no, he can't shoot the ball from eight feet. 
that's just not who he is. So if you can live with that, fine. And he brings other assets to the table, and I, I can understand why you would want him. When it comes to Randall, Randall, uh, you know, you, you've got a guy who is supposedly the best player on your team, no worse than number two, and he's become so caught up in officials' calls. That's all he does is complain. And Thibodeau's no better. That's all he does is complain to the officials. I had, my high school basketball coach said, told us every single night before a game, nobody argues with the officials except me because you're going to lose your focus. And that's what's happened to the Knicks. That's part of their problems. They've spent so much time bitching at the refs that it, they, they've lost their focus, particularly Julius Randle. Yeah, and I think also it doesn't help. The fact is that, you know, Derrick Rose went down, and this team has been totally different, you know, without Rose, who's a guy that was kind of a proven scorer. You know, yeah, he could be limited in minutes and stuff, uh, obviously with the age and the injury history he's had. But this 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 Knicks team is really, really searching. I think it's unfortunate that a guy like Evan Fournier has gotten off to a rough start. Well, let's be honest. It's difficult, Howard, to play in New York. And if you don't have – if you have a couple of bad games here and there, the Knicks fans are very, very hard on any of these players. And it's all based upon the fact is that everybody, Knicks fan related, is looking for this team to – go from last year being a fourth seed, making a playoff, to now all of a sudden competing for a championship. And it, it just remains to be seen. But you're right. I don't know. I think that clearly if this team really struggles in the second half of the season, I wouldn't be surprised that Tom Thibodeau uh, is fired or he immediately for next season is on the hot seat. But it's going to be really interesting to see how this team uh, develops and what they do in the offseason or at the trade deadline. I mean, you know, they have some nice pieces with Obi Top and development and like you mentioned about Mitchell Robinson and, you know, whatever they do, they got to find a player. And if it's going to be a situation where I think ultimately they were forced to resign Julius Randle, but I think clearly his day is numbered also in New York if they can have, make it happen uh, sooner rather than later. Taking a bite of the Big Apple with Gerald Brown of the uh... – Bottom line, sports show on Sirius XM uh, NBA radio. If uh, the Nets have their problems and the Knicks have their problems, I don't know if it's a much any messier than what's going on in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, when they made the trade for Westbrook, when I heard that trade, I said, this is a bad trade for the Lakers uh, because they gave up way too much uh, for a guy that, you know, maybe from end to end on the court, nobody goes end to end faster than Russell Westbrook with the basketball. But he's got no perimeter game. Uh, his whole He's a scorer, not a shooter. Never has been. So I have to believe before they made that deal, they consulted with LeBron James, right? Oh, easily. I think, you know, it's easy on the surface to point the fingers at Frank Vogel, Russell Westbrook, even Rob Polinka. But let's be clear and honest about this whole situation, Howard. This is a team that LeBron James put together. This is a team where he wants to bring in guys, you know, hey, look, Carmelo, some of the other guys, just put this team together. But clearly what has happened now is interesting. The narrative becomes that the struggles and the problems of the Lakers is solely Russell Westbrook. And it's totally unfair. Russell Westbrook, keep in mind, when Bradley Beal went down last season with the Wizards when he was out there, Westbrook again turned it on played unbelievable there's a team that i believe if i'm not mistaken we're in the playoff tournament and playing tournament and they played very well adapting and adjusting to a situation where again like i said earlier a ball dominant lebron james where westbrook was ultimately in all the places he's been he's primarily had the ball in his hands with the exception of maybe houston he had the ball in his hands a lot He's a facilitator. He's doing all these different things. So now he's in this role where he's going to a corner. He's trying to be a spot-up shooter. That's not Russell Westbrook. Right. And all of the issues that have transpired with the Lakers, like I said, you can look at their perimeter defense. You can look at Anthony Davis not being out there for quite some time. This is a team that really, they have been put together, but they haven't had time to gel. And unfortunately, you know, LeBron has missed some time. So now it's ultimately like 
Russell Westbrook is the face of the problems with the Lakers. I think it's unfortunate, but if anybody needs to be blamed, it's LeBron James. He signed off on this team. There's no way in the world they would have put this team together without him being on board with it. And and in some situations, requesting some of these players. Completely agree. Uh, Last night, they played Portland. Westbrook doesn't play. Damian Lillard didn't play. And the Lakers lose to Portland without Lillard? Uh, I mean, inexcusable. You can't, particularly with all the heat that's on them right now and where they sit in the West. I mean, right now they're in the ninth spot of the West. They could easily fall below that. They could fall right out of the, of the play-in. I mean, it's not inconceivable. So that's why I won't be surprised. And I don't know what they could do to fix this roster before 3 o'clock Eastern time today. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be enough. I, I think they got a real issue right now, and uh, and LeBron James has got to got to be accountable for this. I mean, they've lost seven of the last ten games. They're playing as poorly as they could play. You've already outlined their perimeter defense is horrible. So you know, I mean, how do you, you can't change this thing overnight in, in in the next two and a half hours to fix this thing? So you know, having said that. When I, when I, coming back to the East, when I said beginning of the year, I looked at the East and I said, this is going to be the deepest and toughest Eastern Conference that we've seen in quite a while. I mean, you you, you go down the list from number one, Miami, uh, to number six, Toronto. There's three games in the loss column separating all those teams. So, I mean, it's going to be a fistfight till the end. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you know, that was kind of the narrative last year. I mean, we talked about the Knicks and how they were the four seed. And realistically, that four seed was really between four and seven was maybe a game or two. It was very, very tightly knit. And look, Toronto has been a team that has caught fire. I believe they won like seven or eight games in a row. Pascal Siakam has been playing very well. You got yep. all-star Fred Van Fleet that's been playing phenomenal. They have found their way. We witnessed Boston. All of a sudden now they're starting to get some footing and starting to make some tra- uh, you know, headway. And then you look up Miami has been playing very well. We heard know about Chicago. But then Cleveland, out of nowhere, Cleveland Cavaliers have been playing some very exceptional basketball, which just lends to the depth of the Eastern Conference. And you're right, it's going to be a dogfight for those teams to really play, stay out of that playing tournament. But more importantly, just so it shows from top to bottom, the first time in quite some time, the Eastern Conference is way stronger than the Western Conference. Yep. Head, head and shoulders, way stronger. Yep, you're completely correct. Uh, Cleveland picks up Karis LeVert, so he's reunited with Jared Allen from their days with the Brooklyn Nets. And, I mean, they're, they're, I don't think they're going to go to the Eastern Files necessarily, but they're going to be a tough out. Whoever they play in the playoffs, they've won three in a row. Uh, Milwaukee, we haven't even talked about Milwaukee. Here's the defending champion that's now won four in a row, playing outstanding basketball. I mean, Giannis the other night, goes 17 for 20 from the field seriously i mean that that doesn't even make any sense as great as he is but the guy that i look at is middleton middleton to me is like he's the stabilizing factor with this team uh he's he's a guy that i watch him when he gets the ball in a certain place i said it's going up and it's going in he's just very reliable and drew holiday now that he's well after missing some games this team, you don't don't count them out. Don't count them out to make a reappearance in the NBA Finals. Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest thing with them is that they learn how to win, if you, if you will. And they learn how to navigate some situations. And granted, they were lucky last season in the Brooklyn series. But I think the, big, the biggest thing is look at a team that's kind of insane. There's no panic. You know, we, we knew that Mike Boomer's job perhaps would win on the line this last year, this season, if he didn't win a championship. It just seems a sense of calmness, and they know what they need to do when it's time to get it done. And I think the biggest thing that might hold them back, and, 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 and hopefully it works out, is, you know, hopefully it works out that he's back, but Brooke Lopez is a, is a huge piece to this team. And they've been able to... You know, navigate the waters, bringing in, you know, DeMarcus Cousins for a 10-day. They have now Greg Monroe's in there playing well. But this is a team that I think, Howard, they're navigating a regular season, being the champs. And I think it works in their favor where 
they're kind of falling under the radar. Everybody's focused on everything from Philadelphia, what they're doing with their bead, to the Brooklyn Nets issues. You know, just Atlanta Hawks falling short. That the waiting in the weeds are the Milwaukee Bucks, who are still the reigning champs, and have a guy that look if Embiid, you know, has sort of a down second half. Giannis is still going to be there, and clearly, it just seems apparent that Howard his game is getting better and better and better. A lot more confidence from the perimeter. Uh, again, not forcing things, adding more to his offensive repertoire to be able to go and support that defensive proudness that he has. Um, I just look at them, you're right. They're going to be a hard out. And I think that clearly they're in the best situation possible where nobody's looking for them at all. And that is a very dangerous team. Well, you just I just found out just this minute, the Bucks have acquired Serge Ibaka from the Clippers. Yeah. Uh, Marvin yeah. Bagley goes to the Pistons. A couple of other issues in this trade that I'm not aware of. Uh, the Raptors uh, sent Goran Dragic to the Spurs for Young. Uh, so things are starting to heat up with the trade deadline. Still no word on the Harden and Simmons trade, but uh, we still got about three and a half hours before that takes place. Gerald, great talking to you, my man. And most I importantly... Likewise. Appreciate it, man. Enjoy the rest of the day. And again, this is kind of the Christmas day, if you will, of the NBA with the trade deadline. <laughs> Stay safe. You do the same. Appreciate it. He's Gerald Brown of the Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM NBA Radio. Boy, the Bucks just picked up another insurance piece in Serge Ibaka. That's extraordinary. That's a, that's a good move by them. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Things are starting to heat up, boys and girls. Starting to heat up. And it can only be a good thing for anybody who's making moves. And there's, uh, there's, there's a lot of moves to be made, and teams are starting to make some things. Uh, we'll see how it all shakes out. It's going to be interesting, and that's, uh, that's putting it mildly. I'm going to check in with uh, another one of the guys that I really enjoy talking to. Hello, Mr. my man Otis. How are you? Hey, what's going on? Uh, not too much, except that James Harden is still with the Nets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I don't know if anything's going to change with that, man. Well, you get conflicting reports. Uh, Wojnarowski of ESPN says that he thinks it's a 51-49 chance that a deal's going to get done. Uh, others say that there's no chance. Uh, there's a couple of factors here. Number one, Harden's free at the end of the season. What right. makes the Nets think, after he turned out a three-year, $161 million deal, that they're going to re-sign him after the season? Right. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think the frustration part right now is, is at an all-time high for him. You know, so I don't know what is, what he's thinking. You know what I mean? You have a guy in Kyrie who just won't give a shot for whatever reason, and, and it's a valid reason for him. But maybe not for James Harden, who came here and was envisioning the championships. Um, KD gets hurt at a critical time. Kyrie's halftime. So it's, it's, it's a lot going on right now. So I wonder how much this is going to play into if he does get past the, the uh, trade deadline, how much that impacts him in the offseason. Well, let's look at the other side of this. Suppose, and if they, look, it seems to me that it's not going to be straight up Harden for, for Ben Simmons that the Nets are not going to make that move unless there's other pieces involved. Now, yeah. that may be the bone of contention, but let's just look at it. Suppose Simmons does come to Brooklyn. He had a hard time dealing with the crowd in Philadelphia. Could you imagine? Imagine what happens if he comes to New York? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, and then how long is it going to take him to ramp up? You know, he may be working out right now, but there's no substitute for game speed, game reps. You know, opposition pushing up on you, you know? A guy like Kyrie was able to get back because he does stuff that he practices all the time. So he does stuff that he's going to do in the game. He's always working on his craft in that way. What do you think Ben Simmons was doing? I mean, he's supposed to be a defensive specialist. He's just doing defensive slides all for five hours. <laughs> what's What is he doing to get himself game ready? Because we know he's not probably working on his shot. That's the biggest bone of contention. That's that the problem. You know what I mean? So uh, that's going to take a little bit of time to ramp up. And these, this team right here, they need somebody that's going to come in and inject some kind of instant offense, instant impact, whether 
it's offensively or defensively, and I don't know if he's going to be ready to do that because they're struggling right now. They can't wait for KD to come back. Oh, there's no doubt. Uh, let's look. There's two. There's a difference between being in shape and being in mm-hmm. basketball shape. Totally mm-hmm. different. There's there's the win factor. Uh, you know, you can he can you know go and work in the weight room and do all of the cardiovascular stuff and all of that. That's all great. Right. But it's going to take him time. Uh, and you know, the Nets have fallen from the top of the East to where now. I mean, they're struggling. They they're close to being in the play-in. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, if it started today, they would be in the play-in. So they have to uh, get this stuff together, you know, and then you, you hope when KD comes back that he instantly becomes KD of old. But we don't know that, you know. And, and again, with Kyrie, that's the factor, man. With Kyrie only playing half the time and, and praying that the mandate changes, which part of it did change, but still not for indoor arenas. You know, you still have to show uh, proof of vaccination for that. Um, so he, you know, KD may come back and take a few games to get up. Well, if you lose those games, you're slipping further and further. And obviously everybody says when they're full and they're healthy that they're, you know, nobody wants to play them. But Harden, tight hamstring, is that going to linger throughout this whole process as well? So there's a lot, a lot of factors going on. You know, the two teams that were picked to meet in the NBA Finals before the season, the Lakers and the Nets, Struggling big time. Well, the city game is a mess in New York. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the the, uh, the Knicks. Uh, I, I don't know how they can right this ship because they still have a need at the key spot that they haven't solved yet, and that's at point guard. Um, you've got Julius Randle is picking fights with everybody and their brother. Uh, right. And then the thing that I didn't understand the other night they play in Denver. They're getting blown out. And with three minutes and 50 seconds to go in the game, Thibodeau decides to put R.J. Barrett back into the game. And with 18 seconds to go in the game, he sprains his ankle. He's not going to play tonight. Ankles are funny. You know that. Who knows how many games he's going to miss. I didn't understand why Thibodeau would put him back in in a blowout. I have no idea, man. That that was a ridiculous move to make. Um, It didn't make any sense to me. Obviously, there's a method to his madness that everybody else doesn't understand it, I'm sure. You know, R.J. Barrett is a type, all right, coach puts me in, I'm going to go ahead and do it without realizing that that big-time risk that, that comes along with it, and it, it, it definitely didn't pay off. You weren't going to win the game. What were you trying to do? You know, that, that just wasn't smart to me. Yeah, no, I Especially agree. Especially the way R.J. Barrett has been playing, too, you know? He's well, been playing a lot better. Yeah, No, you're right. We're taking a bite of the Big Apple with Otis Livingston of Channel 2. He's a sports anchor there. Let me shift gears and go to the oblique spheroid sport, the National Football League, where the Giants hire a new coach. Brian Flores comes out and files a lawsuit against the NFL uh, on a number of fronts. Uh, He he implies that Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, offered him $100,000 a game to lose. Uh, I mean, look, Roger Goodell's got a mess on his hands. The, The attack about... Uh, the race factor is bad enough, and that leads to the ridiculous Rooney rule, which has been a total joke for I don't know how many years. Goodell stands up there yesterday at the at Super Bowl site and says, we're going to work on this thing. And, uh, where have you been for five years? You're just going to work on it now? Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just feel like this has been an ongoing situation, you know, and the fact is that there have been a few African-Americans and minorities hired over the last few years. And so the numbers are okay for some people or it's, it's, it's reasonable to some people, but the underlying racial tone, undertone that has been going on continues. I think Brian Flores and that, at that erroneous, uh, text message from Mr. Magoo, Bill Belichick, to the wrong Brian, um, just illuminated it more. That's all that happened. It just brought it more to the, and somebody has now brought it to the forefront at what we've all been thinking in the background. Are these token interviews? You know who you want, but you're going to fulfill the Rooney rule and say, this guy's a serious candidate, etc. when in your mind, he's not. And I'm not saying that that's what the Giants were thinking, because I don't know what happened. I don't know what, I mean, we all assume that Bill Belichick is 
plugged in and he has reliable sources that said this is going to be the guy before Brian Flores and I think Leslie Frazier even interviewed. So we believe that. So we it's starting to come to the forefront, just what was in the back room. And even Brian Flores used those words, backroom deals, backroom uh, discussions, and, and things of that nature. So uh, all, all minority candidates want is an opportunity, a legitimate opportunity, not the token interviews. And in a way, I, I, the NFL is trying something. You know, the Rooney's tried something to up the numbers. I don't necessarily like it because it hasn't bore a whole lot of fruit, and I feel like there's a lot of these token interviews to fulfill the Rooney rule that are going on and guys aren't getting a legitimate opportunity to win the job. Let's think about the team and the, and the family that came up with it, the Rooney's, Pittsburgh Steelers. They had their guy, reportedly had their guy, but they interviewed Mike Tomlin, Mike Tomlin blew him away, and the rest is history. 15 straight seasons of non-losing season just because he got that opportunity. Had they gone into his interview... And or not have his interview because they had their guy, then we wouldn't have seen this. So there's opportunity, just create an opportunity and a legitimate opportunity. Uh, I mentioned before about Goodell says they're going to work on this thing and so on. How many franchises in the National Football League have never had a black coach? Take a guess. I, I believe it's six or seven. No, you better take it up. It's 13. 13 franchises have never had a black coach. The Giants, Patriots, Ravens, Titans, Jaguars, Buffalo, Dallas, uh, Washington, the Saints, the Falcons, the Panthers, the Rams, and the Seahawks have never wow. had a black coach. And, and Roger Goodell is going to start working on this thing now? Really? Yeah, I, yeah, I was thinking minorities because Ron Rivera well, for yes. the Panthers and the, and the uh, Washington football team. Yeah, so, no, I mean, that's... that number comes down. But yeah, 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 I got you now. Yeah, yeah. but but, but I... here's the, here's the what point. Is the answer. No, it's 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 ridiculous and it's insulting. Here, here's my question to Mr. Goodell: You cannot do anything that the owners don't want you to do. Right. You you work you work for them, and it's sixty yes. million a year. I understand that. Mm. Exactly. I mean, I. I don't have the answer. It's, 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 it's really tough because, as you said, it's insulting that you even have to have a rule in place for someone to get a fair opportunity. You know, the fact that Josh McCown was the favorite, no NFL head coaching experience, no college coaching experience, high school coaching experience, he was the favorite. He was the guy that the Houston Texans wanted to take over Brian Flores, who is coming off an incredible season, even though it only ended up nine and eight, started one and seven, won eight out of the last nine, got fired. So he had two out of his three years in Miami, a winning record, right? Um, Lovey Smith came in at the last second. He went, he took a team to the Super Bowl. That was years ago, but at least he has some, ex- some, some coaching experience on the NFL level and took the team to the, to the Super Bowl. And your favorite is Josh McCown because why? What did he do that proved to you that he's the best candidate for the job? He's the perfect fit. I understand. We're talking with Otis Livingston of Channel 2. Um, I understand the hiring of Brian Dable with the Giants because he's got a relationship with Joe Shane, the general manager. I get that. Yes, yes. But if I'm sitting there as uh, as sitting there as the owner and I'm looking over Brian Dable on one side, got good credentials. He worked for Nick Saban. He worked for Belichick. He's got great breeding. On the other side, I got Brian Flores, who's coached as a head coach for three years. He won right. 10 games one year. He won seven in a row to put him in playoff consideration this year. Right. And he, oh, by the way, he's from Brooklyn. He's a local guy. And I'm wondering why you wouldn't pull the trigger on that. I guess it's because the, the general manager's got a relationship with Brian Dable. Yeah, and you know, before the search began... Um, they said that they weren't looking necessarily for a general manager, head coach combination package deal coming. They weren't interested in it, but if it happened, it happened. They also said the general manager would be in charge of the search. Now, 
at some point as the owner, the one who's writing checks, uh, you do have some say there. So if you wanted Brian Flores, you have to make that known, and that has to get done. You know what I mean? But that relationship, and, and now it goes back to comfortability, supposedly, relationships like that. Well, how does minorities get that opportunity to do that if you don't have those relationships in the first place? Uh, no, I hear what you're saying, Otis. Uh, look, there's been nine coaches, nine coaching hires during this offseason. Uh, Lovey Smith, you mentioned with Houston. Uh, Mike McDaniel in Miami is a is a minority, also. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's where the, that's where the line is drawn. That's it. That's it. Now that's my question, my question to you is, what chances do you think Brian Flores has got of getting a head coaching job in the NFL? Ever. Right? Yes, ever. That's a great question because once, the, once the, I, before the lawsuit, I thought he was going to get a job. I definitely did. Um, now, maybe as a result of, I, I feel like it's, it's slim to none. I think it's slim to none. And, and he even admitted that he that he knew he was putting his uh, head coaching career on the line when he brought about the lawsuit. He knew that the challenges that he was facing. Um, he knew that it would put his coaching career in jeopardy, and it's it's working out that way right now. I just felt like he was a hot candidate coming out, you know. Um, and the fact that the Giants, in his mind, already made up their mind, he felt like that it was worth, like right now, striking out and making a an impact in the future for other coaches that could be in his position. Uh, let's talk about uh, you know beyond this. Look. I, I think Flores has got. Uh, he he was asked. I think um, I saw an interview he was doing on CNN, where he was uh, he was asked uh, if if you uh, if you drop the lawsuit, uh, do you, would you would, do you think you would get hired in the NFL? Oh no, he, he the question was if you get hired to be a head coach, would you right. drop the lawsuit? And he said no, and he wasted no time. So now, yeah. question is: Does it stop with the NFL, or would any college hire the guy? Well, I would hope that a college that felt like he was worthy of the job would get. I mean, because they have no real affiliation with the NFL. I feel like if he's qualified for the job, and and that's that's the funny part about this whole thing is that we, we keep hearing about it. this guy was a perfect fit. He was the fit. He was the best man for the job. He was this, that, and the other. And a lot of times it's just because of those relationships. It's just because that they are coming off the Belichick tree, which by the way, Brian Flores is off of, or, or, you know what I mean? Like Josh McDaniel, that, that, that's something that, that kind of bothers me too. You know, he wasn't great in Denver. Right. He goes, Back to New England, he accepts his job with the with the Colts, right? And then reneges on the job, goes back, and now he's the hottest candidate. He falls right into the the, the Raiders' job. What about character? What about standing, st- uh, going through with your word? You took that job. That was your job, and you backed out of it. Do you think a minority could do something like that and still be given carte blanche to whenever you're ready to go on? And, and come out of the, the Patriots to, to get a job like the Raiders. They went to the playoffs this year, and Rick Versace did a great job, and he's not there. But you have that job. That's a character flaw to me, because if I say that I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. You're uh, impacting other people's lives. Now I hear what you're saying. Uh, hey, I'll throw another name at you. For five years, Eric Bieniemy has been rumored to be the uh, head coach, and he still hasn't gotten the job, and I don't understand why not. Yeah, the thing that I hear is is uh, that he's he doesn't interview well. Um, I think a lot of people also have the 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 thought that uh, Eric uh, that uh, Andy Reid is calling the offense when I'm watching the sideline and I'm watching Eric Bieniemy calling plays. You know what I mean? Yep. So he needs to. I, I think his contract ran out ran out as well. Maybe he. Maybe he needs to go somewhere else where there's a defensive-minded head coach and show his wares that way because that cloud of suspicion or that 
the the fact that Andy Reid is this offensive guru, so a lot of the offense is seen to be called by him, and that's the way some people perceive it has been a knock on him as well. Can't let you go without asking you your thoughts about Sunday. Cincinnati or the Rams? Who do you like? I, I like the Rams. I think Aaron Donald and those guys are going to get after it, but man, Joe Burrow scares me, man. I, <laughs> I just think he has that it factor. Whatever it is, that confidence permeates throughout the team, whether it's a, a close game or a blowout, they believe they can win. I just, that, and, that, and, that, and that's a lot because Matthew Stafford hasn't played in a big game either. Nope. At least Joe Burrow a couple years ago was in a national championship game. That, that counts for something. You know, I think Matthew Stafford won his first playoff game this year after all those years in Detroit. So we don't know how he's going to react under the bright lights. Um, but I, I, I just, it's just something about that guy and the weapons that he has, Jamar Chase. I think it's going to be a fascinating matchup. Jamar Chase, Jalen Ramsey, um, Aaron Donald, Von Miller, who's a former MVP of the Super Bowl with the Denver Broncos. Um, so he's been there. Uh, I just think it's going to be a really good game. Now, will it live up to what the, the playoff games have been up to this point? I don't know about that mm-hmm. because it's been pretty sensational. Yep. Um, but I, I think it's going to be a pretty good game. Uh, let's not forget Leonard Floyd, too, uh, for the Rams defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so they, their defense is going to be uh, the calling card for the Rams to put a lid on uh, Joe Burrow and, and Jamar Chase. Yeah. Now, Chase, and you're right, Chase is going to be matched up with Jalen Ramsey. Now, Jalen yeah. Ramsey's a terrific cover, but yeah. he's not a great tackler, and that, that, that's right. a big problem. Yeah, because Jamar Chase, he gets after it after the catch. You know what I mean? He can turn a, a, long, a short one into a long one really, really quickly. So it's gonna, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. What about you? What, what do you think? I, I give the Bengals a puncher's chance because the Rams have been poor in ball security during the playoffs. They've turned it over mm. too much. And if Cincinnati can cause some of that and take advantage of it, then I, I don't see this game as a shootout. Uh, okay. I, I really don't. I, I think this yeah. is going to – I think team that wins a game at most is going to score 24, 27 points. Um, I, yeah. like, I like Cincinnati's chances, but I'm yeah. going to go with the team with more talent, and that's the Rams. Okay, so, so – and part of my thinking as well is have they shored up that offensive line play because – they got uh, Burrow got sacked nine times against uh, Tennessee, the, the, the Titans, and right. I think five or six against the Kansas City Chiefs. You got some monsters over there with the Rams, yep. you know. And if you they, they, they can wreck it, you know. So, um, but you know what? True to his his nature and his upside, he was making big plays with his legs to be the Chiefs at the end of the game after getting sacked all those times. So that that kid, he just has something, man. That just I can't count them out. So, what do you do Sunday? Where are you going to be? I'll be home. Um, it's not. It's not a CBS game, so I'll be home. Um, my wife is out of town, so my son and I will be at home. We'll make some air fried uh, buffalo wings and <laughs> stuff like that, and have a good time. Just kicking, kicking back, man. What about yourself? Well, my daughter throws a Super Bowl party every year, uh, and we always go to it. And I'm looking forward to it again. So. Uh, my wife told me what she's preparing for, and so I'm ready for that. And my, nice. my daughter always has great snacks. So it's and for the first time, see, most of the fan, the people in that room at my daughter's house, they uh-huh. can't. They, they're they're anti Tom Brady. So, uh-huh. so, so they're just happy that he's not around. Yeah. So this time he's not around, and they don't have him to pick on anymore. So <laughs> I mean, <laughs> look. People that pick on Tom Brady, and whether he comes back or not doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, he is the GOAT. He is the greatest of all time. I disagree with Belichick, who called him the greatest player of all time, because I don't believe that. I think he's the greatest quarterback of all time. But you're going to have to push me hard to go past a guy named Lawrence Taylor for the greatest of all time. Unbelievable. And then Jim Brown's in there, too. You know, there's there's some candidates. Um, But, yeah, he definitely... Had a great career and you're breaking up on me, Otis. You got it, Otis. You're breaking up. You with me? No, I think he's not. Kind of lost him. 
kind of lost him. Howard. Yeah, so is you with me? Yeah, I was saying I was saying that, that Brady needs to give uh, Mo Lewis a couple of his rings. Yeah. His uh, legacy would not have started if it wasn't for that hit on True Blood, so that started his career. No, he needs to send him a check every Christmas. <laughs> At least, yeah. <laughs> Great talking to you, my man. You stay safe. Thank you. As always, Howard. Take care, man. He is Otis Livingston from Channel 2 in New York. Word about the game. Tomorrow I'll talk a lot more about it. The Rams are a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Not insurmountable. But if you lined up, look at the two rosters, and you say, well, we're the stars. Rams have Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham Jr. Got to put Matthew Stafford into the mix. Certainly Aaron Donald, who may be the best player in the NFL right now. Uh, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, Jalen Ramsey. I think you would find that the Rams have more stars. Now, the stars got to play like stars. I'm not writing off the Bengals, not by any stretch of the imagination. But the key to them, and I know turnovers are a big key. You tell me the team that wins the turnover battle, they're going to win the game. That's, that's an obvious statement. What isn't obvious is that can you live up to what you have to do? Can the Bengals cause turnovers? If they can, they're in the game throughout. If they can't, then I like the Rams to win. I don't think it's going to be one-sided. I only don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be a close game, hard fought. You got two quarterbacks. Stafford has never been at this level. He's finally won a playoff game after going 0 for 3 when he when he was with Detroit. Now you got Joe Burrow, as Otis mentioned. He's won a championship. He's won a national title. And now here he is, two years later, playing in a Super Bowl, looking to win it all. Looking to win it all. And if he wins, he's going to light up another cigar. <laughs> I don't know if, if I'm the American Heart Association. I'm thrilled with him constantly, constantly talking about lighting up a cigar when he wins. But, you know, he's entitled to his opinion. That said, I'm going to pick the Rams to win. I think it's going to be very close. One final word about Roger Goodell. You're lying to the people. Whether you like it or not, you're lying to the people. You should have stepped in when Colin Kaepernick was being blackballed. And that's what he was. He was blackballed. This whole issue with Brian Flores and, his, and, and filing a lawsuit, basically claiming there's racism. 13 franchises in this league have never had a black coach, ever. I'm just wondering, when Goodell says that we're going to work on this thing and fix it, well, where have you been? The Rooney Rule's been going on for a long time, and you're finally going to go attack this problem? You work for the owners, Mr. Goodell. Okay? You work for the owners. Make no mistake about it. They're paying you a lot of money, like $60 million, I hear, a year. I can't find a job like that in the paper. I've looked. You have the responsibility to run the league with the approval of ownership. Ownership hasn't gotten it done. That's why there's now two black coaches. There's four minority coaches, period, in the NFL, in a league that's 75% black. Mr. Goodell, you better do something because people are getting tired of it. Now, it's not affecting the television ratings. They're through the roof during the playoffs. People love football. They don't want to get caught up in the politics of sport, but you can't ignore it. It is what it is. I'll have more on the, on the Super Bowl come tomorrow on Howard David Live. You stay safe. Thanks for being a part, and we've enjoyed taking a bite of the Big Apple with Otis Livingston of Channel 2 in New York and Gerald Brown of the Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM NBA Radio. You have a good day. Stay safe.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.